0: Well, good morning, Christ Church. It's so good to be here to worship with you. I want to welcome you all who are worshiping with us in the room and also you, those of you who are joining us online. If you're new to our worship service, I want to give you an idea of what to expect. First, we're going to sing. We're going to lift our voices and sing out to the Lord. And next, we're going to open his word and learn about what his word says about our everyday life. So as we begin our worship, why don't you go ahead and stand if you're in the room or if you're at home and you want to stand with us in worship as well and we'll worship here right now. You know, his word in Psalm 86, 9 and 10 says that the nations you have made will come and worship before you, O Lord, and glorify your name, for you are great. You do wondrous things. You alone are God. So let's worship the Lord with all that we have this morning. We're going to lift our voices and our hands to him. Come on, church, let's clap our hands. and sing about the great God that we
1: That made. I see the star, and I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe display, come on, sing your song, it you sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, i
0: The nations you have made will come together, Lord, and worship you and lift up your name for you are worthy of our praise. God, we love you. We lift our hands and our hearts to you and worship, Lord. We pray all these things in your son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen.
2: Well, welcome. If you're in the room, you can go ahead and have a seat. Welcome to worship this morning. My name is Sue Ann and I have the privilege of serving on staff here. And so whether you are worshiping with us on the room or you were worshiping with us online, we are just so thankful that you are here and so thankful to be part of this amazing community. Um, if you are new, especially if you are online, we'd love to welcome you. Feel free to uh, let us know that you're here. You can drop your name in the chat and someone will connect with you. You can always, Uh, email us, you can follow the link on the screen, as well as text us and just let us know. We just want to know if you have questions about what it's like to be part of this community. We would love to connect with you and answer any questions you have and just make you feel at home. And if you are in the room and you are new or you're visiting for the first time, I would love to say hello to you after the services. I'll be uh, out by the doors and would love to just connect and hear a little bit about your story and what brought you here this morning. So again, it's just so great to be together. Well, we have a holiday coming up. Uh, Thanksgiving is this week, and I know that Thanksgiving looks a little different for many of us this year, but one thing that does not change is that God is still good. He is good all the time. God is good. And so as a church community, we're going to celebrate that. And we're still to give thanks to God this week. And so we have uh, put together some really great online worship services. Actually, just one, not many. Just one (laughs) online worship service for you this week that's going to be available starting Wednesday night. And you can also watch it Thursday morning. Anytime that is convenient for you, it's going to be available on demand. And I know our worship team and our family ministry team and our senior pastor's Dan Meyer have been working really hard to just make that a good experience for you all. So we would love for you to take part in that. We also have some special ways to engage the kiddos. So if you have kids or grandkids or students at your house, there will be some special moments with them. And so we would love to have you participate in that way and our family ministry team has actually put together some packs for families that are available. If you're in the room, you can pick them up on your way out. If you are worshiping online, you can pick those up at either one of our locations. We're gonna have some boxes outside. You can pick them up this week and just have a fun experience with your kids. We also have an online list of what's in that pack. So if you wanna create your own list at home, you can do that as well. So once we've gotten through football and turkey and celebrating and all of those good things this week, it's hard to believe that we actually come back next Sunday, and it's going to be our first weekend of Advent. And so we will be once again worshiping here like we do each and every week and ushering us into this really important Advent season as we talk about what it looks like for Jesus to be the unstoppable light, which I think is a message we all probably could use right now. And so we're going to be doing our traditional lessons and carols next week. I'm gonna partner with my colleague, Eric Haskins, and he and I are gonna lead that service, and we'd just love for you to come back and join us and have that experience with us, as well. Well, we're gonna continue our worship like we do each and every week, and our, our worship team is gonna lead us in a song called Overflow. And we're gonna receive our tithes and our offerings, like I said, just as we do every week as part of our worship. But I've been playing this song in, uh, in my car and on my phone all week this week in preparation for this. And it's interesting the way God works because this song is all about God's goodness and His kindness and His generosity in our lives. And I was at our Butterfield campus on Friday and I was working out of the campus and the doorbell rang and a gentleman came to the door from Allied Van Services, and he had literally a van full of food to deliver to our food pantry. And so I had the joy of talking with him for a couple of minutes. I got to share with him that a couple of weekends ago, our food pantry actually was able to serve 176 families, which is a record, especially coming into the holiday seasons, and that's because of your generosity and the generosity of people like the gentleman I met from Allied Van Services. And so we got to talk for a few minutes. And we uh, went back to the room where we unload all of the boxes. And in that room, waiting for us, was one of what we like to call our super volunteers. And her name is Barb. And Barb and I, and this gentleman, were able to unload everything for the food pantry and the shoe boxes. And then he left. And Barb and I just got a chance to chat for a few minutes. It's been a hard year for Barb. She was diagnosed with COVID very early on in the spring and became very uh, severely ill. It took her many months to recover, and in the months of her recovery, she lost her job. And she's been out of work now for a couple of months. And so Barb and I chatted and I said, Barb, what are you, what are you doing here? And she said, well, I show up here almost every day. I help sort food, I pack shoeboxes, I wrap shoe boxes. And I said, why are you choosing to do that in a time that's been so hard for you? And she said, well, it's what we do. We give back. This is what we do when we realize how generous God has been to us. And I was so inspired and encouraged by that. And then I said, you know, Barb, how's the job search going? And she said, actually, it's been hard. She said, I've had a couple that I've really wanted that didn't come through. But she said, I'm supposed to hear from one that I really want and I'm supposed to, they told me um, they would let me know by the end of the week and it was Friday and she said I should hear today and I haven't heard anything. And I said, Barb, can we just like, let's pray. Let's just ask God to intervene here, let's pray. And so we prayed together and by the end of the conversation we were both just a puddle of tears and she went back to packing boxes and I went back to the office. And about an hour later, she came bursting through those office doors and she said, you're not going to believe this. God must have been listening. And he wanted to answer our prayers quick because I just got a job offer. And I thought, yes. And Eric was in the office at that time. We all threw our hands in the air. We were fist bumping and high-fiving. And I thought, you know, that's what this community is all about, It's about serving together. It's about giving of our resources. It's about sharing our stories. It's about praying together. And it's about reminding one another that God cares, that He's with us and He's for us in the midst of all things, and He is good. And that's what we celebrate this Thanksgiving, and that's what we do when we come together as a community, and it's why we give back to this place. It's why we give each and every week. And so I'm going to invite you to do that now. You can give online. You can text to give. If you're here in the room, you're welcome to leave a gift on your way out. We just so appreciate your support that makes this church a church on mission, doing God's work, and so thank you for that. But as we do that, the worship team is going to lead us in this song. Just sit and be reminded of God's goodness and His grace as we continue our worship together.
3: thanksgiving for me this week is just the amazing team that I get to work alongside and I just wanna say thanks on behalf of all of us for leading us in worship today. And uh, a warm welcome to those of you who are joining us online as well as those physically present on the campus today. Uh, Wherever we are, uh, however we come to this service today, I know that God uh, is not surprised, God is ready to meet us and I hope that already in the time we've spent that you sensed his presence uh, reaching out to you. I wanna read to you today, if I can, a passage from the Gospel According to Luke and just invite you to listen to me. And I just wanna say that as I was looking over this passage this past week and preparing to talk today, this text struck me as one of those wow stories. And the wow was not only because I found myself in it, but, but also because I found our world in it. I was struck by how current is the topic that gets described in the words of Jesus. So listen, if you would, to Luke chapter 12 at verse 13 and following. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, Who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then Jesus said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things, laid up for many years. So take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And Jesus continues, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. I have this... um, this sense in my head that as the man came up to Jesus that day with the question he had, there was a bit of a tremble in his voice. That what he was saying was really filled with emotion. Maybe the bills at home had just been so overwhelming for him that he he wasn't keeping up and uh, he just desperately (laughs) needed some relief. Uh, We can understand that, some of us. Uh, Or maybe he'd actually... Counted on his father's estate to get himself the life that he had always wanted. Maybe he'd been fantasizing for a long time that when, that when the inheritance came in, things would be a whole lot better for him. Or maybe he was uh, actually doing pretty well. Maybe the guy was reasonably well off, but it just bugged him that his brother was doing even better. All we know for sure is that while Jesus was teaching, a man in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. We know this tone. We know this supplication. We know that cry. Every parent recognizes it, I'm sure. Dad, he's not sharing. Mom, she's getting more than me. Can you make my allowance bigger Right? We've heard these cries. And it's not just children. It's not just kids that feel these things. The sporting news, as we follow it, is regularly filled with reports of some uh, athlete who is uh, already making millions of dollars and is struggling to negotiate for even more. Or we find that the concern in Hollywood is less often with the plot lines of the blockbusters than with the gross sales at the box office. Uh, our every uh, medium today is filled with all kinds of of requests, uh, appeals to us that the good life is something we could buy if we just had more cash. Dozens of companies are out there plying us in the magazines and on the screens with claims that if if we'll just let them Manage our money, we'll actually have that good life one day. The biggest selling editions of magazines, this is demonstrated year after year, are the ones that feature on the cover the people who make a lot of money, the celebrities, the athletes, the others. In fact, we love the magazines that rank the people, so we just know how big is big. And news from the financial markets these days looms even larger than conversation about the coronavirus. More and more, it seems, life is about making and managing more stuff, more things, more money. So Jesus, in this particular encounter, speaks to this fundamental reality about human life. And in Luke chapter 12, he says, watch out. Be vigilant, pay attention, he says. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, all kinds of greed. For a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions, he says. Life is a lot more important than just your possessions. Now, I'm going to guess that most of us hear this particular statement and we nod and we say, oh boy, that is really true. In fact, we would tell our kids this, um, if we've got kids. You know, life is about a whole lot more than money. Uh, We say money can't buy you happiness, maybe a little bit of an anesthetic, uh, but it's not the deepest kind of joy that money buys. In our clearest moments, we recognize that the true abundance, the important kind of abundance is not marked so much by material things as it is by character, by spirit, by the quality of our relationships. Would you agree with me about that? Would, would you nod your head? Yeah, that's true. So why is, why is greed still one of the deadly sins? Why in every generation, in every history, and period of history and culture, does, does, does greed keep coming up as one of the really deadly sins? In fact, it's it's ranked as one of the hardest the most contagious, the most difficult to vaccine against, viruses ever known to humanity, the power of greed or avarice. And to illustrate how it works, Jesus goes on to tell a story. Jesus loves to tell stories around really important topics. The ground of a certain rich man, Jesus said, produced a good crop. And and the man thought to himself, well, what shall I do? I, I have no place to store up all of my crops. And then he said, oh, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all of my goods. And I'll say to myself, self, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years, so take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Have you ever wondered where that line came from? From this story. I think this is an amazing parable. As I said, I read it this week and it just blew my mind how modern this is, how current and consistent with life this is. Though it's told more than 2,000 years ago, Jesus pegs, Four symptoms of a potential greed problem that it's really helpful to measure ourselves against. I don't know about you, but during COVID, I've been constantly checking myself for symptoms. Do I have it? Do I have a cough? You know, am I losing any of my senses? I mean, do, how would I know if I had this dread disease? Well, Jesus lets us know how we can diagnose this deadly virus of greed. The first symptom the parable points to in this story here is, is a syndrome called meism. I'm going to call it meism. I'm talking about the tendency to look from a perspective at the world that it's all basically about me. Uh, until God weighs in at the very end of the story, you may notice that the entire parable is told from the perspective of somebody who's conscious or subconscious orientation is that I am the appropriate focus of life. I don't know whether he would ever admit that to himself out loud, but you can tell from the way he talks, that is actually how he sees things. How do I know that that's true? Well, just look at the text. In just three verses, the words himself, me, my, I, myself, and you, when he means himself, occurs 12 times. Three verses, 12 self references. Now, I contrast that with the perspective of the psalmist David, who says in Psalm 24 and verse 1 The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And, and the world and all of us who live in it, it, it's God's. It all belongs to Him, He's the focus. And we know from the teachings of Jesus so often that a lot of what he is trying to get across is this idea that every one of us enjoy the fruit of the land of this life as tenants who have been graciously given this opportunity to be on the land of the owner and to use what the owner has provided but always in stewardship and always with a view towards sharing with others. So many of the parables of Jesus are about this. So the rich man in this story is not looking at life the way Jesus or much of the rest of the scriptures would encourage us to look at life. The man in the story is really pretty convinced that this world is his. That, that, that it's, it's my ground that has produced this good crop. He feels that the, the main issue, if you look at the text... is is what I will do to store up my grain and my goods to meet my needs. My surplus is an occasion for me to reflect on how well off I am and to encourage myself to make life easier for who? Moi. Moi, me. Now, you get the feeling that had the crop been really bad that year, or like, God forbid a global pandemic came in and really messed up life for everybody, the last thing that would cross this guy's mind is, I wonder how my neighbor's doing right now. I wonder how the temple is holding up. I wonder about those people that had it rough even before this thing started. You don't get the sense that that would have been the point of view this guy would have had. Now, I don't want to be that guy. I don't, I don't even like the idea that Jesus might want me to identify with this particular person. And I'm guessing that's probably true for you too. I, I, I think that if I took a microphone and put it in front of you and I said, um, Do you think meism is a good thing? Your answer would be no, no, no. It's selfishness, no, that's not at all what life should be about. In a study by the Barna Research Group, uh, 58% of Americans, however, agreed with the statement that the primary purpose of life, the primary purpose of life is personal enjoyment and fulfillment. 58% of Americans 72% 72% said that they believe that people are blessed by God. Why? So that they might enjoy life as much as possible. And a whopping 81% said that God helps those who help themselves. No matter what we say, even in our religious context, meism is a powerful syndrome. In our world. Jesus was once asked what he regarded as the most important perspective. Somebody came up to him and said, you know, what's the, what's the biggest calling, the biggest commandment, the most important sort of way to be vectoring your life? And Jesus answered like this, and you've heard it before. Jesus simply said, oh, it's like this. You're to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength And you are to love your neighbor as yourself. By his own example, Jesus shows us that loving God will demonstrate itself in a willingness to actually deny self and one's own comforts in order to pursue God's priorities. Think how many times in the story of Jesus you see him foregoing lunch, uh, foregoing comfort, forgoing a lot of things in order to continue the mission, to fulfill God's purposes. Love of neighbor, he showed us, will demonstrate itself in a willingness to make deep, difficult, personal sacrifices for the sake of others, for the sake of the greater need. The cross is like the supreme picture of Jesus doing this. Uh, As one observer has put it, however, our therapeutic and self-oriented culture has a different first commandment. And the first commandment appears to be, thou shalt do whatever makes me feel good, whatever helps me to cope materially. Now, I'm not saying you're living like this. I'm not throwing rocks. I'm just saying there is a powerful, powerful press in our world today, I think, towards all of us around these things. There's all kinds of greed, says Jesus, and the first sign of its presence the first symptom is this meism that effectively denies the source of our blessings and, and shuts us off to the even greater needs of other people. The second symptom, if you're looking for them, um, flows from the first, and it's the presence of what I'm just going to call storage stress. Storage stress. Now, I don't know if you noticed what it was that made the rich guy anxious, What was it that really bugged him? I'll quote it again. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Now this would not have been a problem had he lived in our era because he would have gotten out his hold everything catalog. He'd have made a trip down to the container store. He'd have visited public storage. He would have had no problem. We have entire industries in our country that are built up, centered on our passion to store more. Right? We do. Uh, none of us strives to be greedy. There's not a, none of you listening to me today are thinking to yourself, I think I'll go out and be even more greedy this afternoon. It's not our intention. But honestly, what do you make of the fact that one of the most nagging issues of our day is, I think pretty undeniably, the question where will I put all my stuff? You know, some of us may be asymptomatic about this virus. You know, we, we may not do, be doing things on the outside that would lead other people to think, oh, you're greedy. But if we look at our hearts and our patterns, maybe there's something going on here. God really answers for us the question of what to do with all of our stuff. He actually does it in a variety of ways, but one encounter with John the baptizer is instructive. Uh, Some people came to John the the baptist or baptizer and and they were concerned. They had been listening to John's preaching and they were sort of worried that maybe the lifestyle they had was not the one that God was looking for. And they were anxious that maybe they would come under God's judgment if they didn't change. And so they said, what should we do then? The crowd asked. And John answered, well, the man with two tunics should share with him who has none. And the one who has food should do the same. Sell, simplify, share. These are the rhythms of the kind of grateful and gracious life of one who understands who's the owner what we've been given it for how we're called to live and the fact that just recently we were able to serve as a church 176 households who were hungry because this congregation poured itself out to sell simplify and share is a really beautiful thing and and one that we just want to be more and more about in so many different kinds of ways, not just as a church but as individual followers of Jesus, so, so there's meism. this is one of the potential signs that I might have the, the, the greed virus. there's storage stress, and let me say thirdly, there's what I'm going to call "tear down itis." Now, I don't know that Jesus like was picturing in his head when he said this all of these orange fences around property in the suburbs of the United States. Uh, when he gave this original teaching, I doubt that was in his mind. But just listen to how he continues the parable. Then the rich man said, this is what I'll do. He's gonna solve his, his storage problem. This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones and there I will store all my surplus Grain. Pay attention to that word, surplus. That's going to be very important to return to. Now, let me just give a quick uh, sidebar and be really clear about this. Expansion is not intrinsically problematic, expansion is not intrinsically wrong. Growing things expand and require accommodation, okay? Uh, Growing families, growing businesses, growing churches, growing lots of things. We'll need to renovate, we'll need to extend, we'll need to build. This is an important and natural part of life. I know Amy and I have made improvements to our house. We've made improvements to our church campuses. Our congregation has cared about sort of keeping up with growth. So I am the last person that can ever try and lay guilt on you for spending on legitimate needs. What Jesus is trying to challenge us to think about, I think, here carefully, is whether our resources are being spent mainly to serve, uh, to create a larger capacity to serve ourselves or whether we're mainly focused on uh, housing all of the material that we bought, as the VeggieTales people say, at the Stuff Mart. Um, Or whether our expansion is aimed actually at increasing our capacity for kingdom influence. Uh, Christ's concern here is what do we do with our surplus? And in the heat of today's cultural environment, which is so profoundly consumer-driven, the ability to be content with what we have, to, to give thanks in all circumstances, to use our surplus for the purpose of God's kingdom, these things, these instincts are disappearing instincts and values. I, I, I find this in myself. I really, I really do. It's this tear down and replace, this throwaway and upgrade mentality. I run into it myself, literally. I'm sitting in the armchair in our family room yesterday and, and I'd, I'd gone out and done a whole ton of yard work. In fact, let me tell you about this. I was doing some yard work and, and, I, and I went in to start the lawnmower. I could not get the thing going, right? My first thought is, replace it. I'll just buy a new one. And I, and I proposed this to my wife, who scowled, clearer head than I. And I thought, maybe I'll just go ask my neighbor John, if I could borrow his lawnmower. Like he comes over and asks me, can I borrow your snowblower? And I did it, and it was a great conversation. I hadn't talked to John for a while. And it was a great occasion to connect with my neighbor. So at the end of the day, I'm tired, I'm sitting down, I'm in my armchair, as I said, in the family room, and I'm surfing through the, 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 the internet, and I realize, ah, oh, Sonos has a great new speaker system. You know, it's called the Arc, and it's this really long bar, and it pumps out this incredible sound and connects everything wirelessly. I need one of those, and I'm about to hit buy. One click, and I remember what I'm going to be talking about today. I go, I'm sick. I already have a Sonos system. I just, this impulse is to Upgrade. We live in a super spreader culture when it comes to greed, to the virus of greed. Uh, And increasingly, our orange fences are are going not just around our two small homes and two small collections of technology and and other products, but increasingly, the fences are going around our our two confining marriages and, and our two antiquated values and our two narrow belief systems. But is it true that that, that bigger and broader and bolder is always better? Is that really true? Which brings us to the final symptom of greed that Christ seems intent on flagging in this parable. And I'll stop here because I know you're sick of this already. This is getting a little too close to home for all of us. Um, The pollster George Gallup calls this final symptom affluenza. 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 And it's this feverish pursuit of more because the virus has killed something in us. Do you know what it is? Our ability to taste and to smell the good we already have. Sound familiar? It, it's killed our ability to actually even enjoy well, we have the nice Sonos system I had already. Right? I'd gone dead to it. I just had to have more. And, and, and it makes me think that maybe I need to go through life more wearing a mask, but not in my mouth, on my eyes and my ears, to just shut me away from this constant call to, again, to throw away an upgrade, to, to tear down and build bigger. We begin to think like the man in Christ's parable you know, I'm my own, I'm my own thing and, and, I, and I start not caring anymore about the way, even when I have needs, I'm being invited into a deeper trust in God and a greater connection with my neighbor. You know, if I had bought the lawnmower, I have never had the connection with John I had yesterday. And that would have been a loss uh, for me. It may be for him. Um, and this is the danger Ultimate danger, I think, of this, of this syndrome is we get to the point where are with this guy in the parable. We say, I have plenty of good things laid up for myself for many years, so take life easy. It used to be that we thought life was basically about growing in character. Now it's about growing in comfort. Uh, eat and drink. Life's all about consuming, after all. And be merry. Which is to say, when all else fails, party on. Self anesthetize. That's the real function of life, my enjoyment. So here's my question. What if the the most deadly, dangerous virus that we are contending with right now is not COVID? What if it's greed? How do we explain the fact that we are the most affluent nation in the history of the human species? And there's more loneliness and more restlessness and more dissatisfaction than many, many other places with a lot less. A very small percentage of people die with COVID. What percentage do you suppose die with greed? But God says to such a person, you fool. And that word fool, when you run across it in the Bible, has a very specific meaning. It doesn't mean somebody who's dumb uh, or lacking in brain matter or IQ. The word fool is the biblical term for when somebody is living in such a way that rejects the knowledge of God and his precepts as the basis of life, of daily life. A fool is somebody who actually has access to that truth, to God's truth, but says, nah, I'll just live my life on a different basis. You fool, God says in the parable. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And then Jesus adds at the very end, this is how it will be. This is what's gonna happen for anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God, towards the things of God. I don't know if any of you ever look at those New Yorker magazine cartoons. You ever see those? Those are, we put them on our refrigerator, my family growing up all the time. And there's one particular one that I I remember in which uh, a man is lying on his deathbed and you can tell that he's called his family around and his voice is very weak and so he's, got, he's called them to come in very close. He's going to say his sort of final piece. He doesn't want them to miss it. And he says, I should have. I should have bought more stuff. <laughs> and it's meant to be comedy. Because nobody at the end of their life thinks, oh, I should have bought more stuff. Nobody, when they're seeing the values of life most clearly as death has a way of waking us up to them, ever thinks that was the real object of life. And as followers of Jesus Christ, there's no way you're gonna answer that way. You are far more likely on that day to think to yourself, oh, I should have been richer toward God. I should have been more content with what I had. I should have taken more of my surplus and used it to change the lives of others for the good. I I, I should have been more generous towards the needs of the poor, towards building up the mission of the church, towards caring for my soul in the only way that generosity cares for a soul. I should have done those things. I wish I could go back and do it differently. Well, friends, the man in the story, he didn't get the chance, because he died before he could make any change or even see the cheat needed change. But here's the good news, we're still breathing. We're still kicking. We still have capacity to make choices in this world. So let's do that together. Watch out, says Jesus. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Build with your resources a better kind of barn. Build a shelter for others. Build up treasures in heaven. Be rich toward God who's been so rich. Toward you and me. For I have come, said Jesus. Trust me, these hard things I say to you. I have come that you might have life and have it even more abundantly. Please pray with me. God, you know that we're going into this Thanksgiving week. And we want to stop at the very start of it and acknowledge that yours is the earth. Yours is the ground and everything that grows up from it. You provide the soil, the rain, the growth, And so we thank you for that. Though we might long for a steady supply of seven-layer cake, and Lord, I'm going to forget too often, and I'm going to let that be my obsession. God, thank you that you're so faithful in providing the daily bread I actually need. Wherever we foolishly thought that what we have is due to our own ownership or genius wherever we've been anxious to accumulate wherever we've succumbed to the tear down and build bigger lifestyle of this world rather than giving ourselves to building for others the shelter of your kingdom oh God we repent we repent of our greed we ask for your forgiveness we thank you that that forgiveness is there for us And so we pray that you'll send us forth to be wiser and more generous stewards in every place, in every way. For we pray in the name of him who for our sake freely, freely gave it all. And all God's people said, amen. passage in the scriptures that says, guard your heart because from it flows the wellsprings of life. And that heart that you have, that part of you that sees need and wants to move towards it, that sees the neighbor and wants to build the relationship, that sees the capacity that you have been given to make a difference for good and moves in response to it. That's the most beautiful thing about you. It's better than your house, it's better than the car you drive, it's better than the cut of your jaw, it's better than anything else about you. It's what God sees. So guard that heart as you go today. Let the Lord continue to work with that heart and know that wherever you go and whatever you do, God stands with you, walks with you is eager to supply you with his grace and wisdom for these days. And so may the blessings of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, be with you this day until we meet again and forevermore. Amen.